electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The age of artificial intelligence. Tech investor Low Tony and the revolution that's only just begun. We're at the forefront of another major shift in technology. You know, we had the internet, then we had mobile, and now we have AI. Applications are everywhere, even in your newsfeed. But I'm starting to use it in all sorts of things. Well, like what? Oh, my God. In the column? I might like the column better. Have you asked ChatGPT to write a column for you? And the supply chain's port side. We're shipping with the port of L.A. head, Gene Soroka. Cargo is moving away from the West Coast. You get three things that importers and exporters tell me every day. You're too expensive. You've got very unique labor issues. And you're overregulated. Plus, the fate of the internet in the Supreme Court, Elon Musk's California dreaming, and a fight is brewing at Bath and Body Works, but at least we'll all smell nice. But I found this moisturizer that's really quite something. It's changed his life. It's Thursday, February 23rd, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe's already making um, me laugh. Joe Kernan's here. Uh, Melissa Lee is with here. With me or at me? Uh, uh, with you. A little combo. A little combo. With you. Uh, Becky's off today. Uh, we got a lot going on, though. Uh, let's show you a second. First up today on the podcast, a Groundhog Day of a headline. The U.S. stock markets are suffering as investors worry that the Federal Reserve will continue to raise interest rates. The S&P 500 is coming off its fourth straight losing session following yesterday's release of the minutes of the Fed's latest rate-setting meeting. The minutes showed that members of the central bank are resolved to keep up the rate hikes while inflation remains above its target rate of 2% price growth. In response, the yields on U.S. Treasury bonds rose considerably. That's starting to... Uh even tax-free, you know, you were talking about tax-free munis. I don't think yeah. maybe it doesn't even have to be tax-free. So it's if, point. Look, if you're going to, if you got some spare money, put it in Bitcoin. Ask <laughs> Melissa's here today. Four percent. No, what are you going to do with four? What are you, yeah, you going to do with four percent? But yesterday, midday. I'm going to sleep well at night. That's what I'm going right. to do. Yeah. All right. You, I think you sleep okay. I mean, how much is the stock market going to go up this year? Well, that's What's a your good guess? Put, um, let's say it's even, let's I, say it's I, 8%. I go back let's say it's 10%. How about last year? I mean, how about yesterday? It was up uh, over 100 points midday, but then it kind of slowly, sickeningly uh, went back down. And we have you on, who talk, you talk to traders every night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talk to traders all day long. We going to retest the lows? They think that maybe October will retest. We right. could maybe even go lower. That's what I mean. We have we've had two people on recently, yeah. one from Piper and then Mike Wilson again came on. Worst case, if it's a pretty tough recession, if there is a recession, he says 3,000 is not out of the question. Right. And if there's the a S&P. recession, let's, let's say we're at five and a half percent. Let's say we stay at five and a half percent for longer. That's what the markets aren't really factoring in. 
right? Okay. For me, mm-hmm. if 3,500 is a possibility, I'm fine at 3,900. I don't need to time it. But 3,000, you might want to sell. You might actually want to, want to lighten up and then have some uh, dry, dry powder, powder at, at 3,000. So it makes yeah. it, it does make it, the 15% makes a difference one way or another. If it's only going down another 7, 8% versus going down another 15 or 18. There are people that still certainly oh, I'm sure. might be on Bunger. Yeah, Munger, Munger, I know. He's so tech savvy, and, and, and he and Warren have been so tech savvy all along. They've been so quick to embrace new, new things. I give great deference. <laughs> I know you do. Charles Munger. To Munger. The or- I, I and the you Oracle. And well, you Buffett. need to. Well, I, great deference. Why don't I get the same type of, of deference? I guess I, in a few years, a couple years, <laughs> two or three. Track record. Couple, Maybe track in record. a few years, right. we'll see. The former Vice President Mike Pence joined us yesterday. You can hear the full interview right here on the Wednesday, February 22nd edition of Squawk Pod. And he weighed in on the rising cost of the major entitlement programs, our social safety net of Medicare and Social Security. The future of these programs and their contribution to our debt, it's shaking up to be a key political issue. In his State of the Union address earlier this month, President Biden criticized the GOP for threatening to shrink or even sunset the programs. So tonight, let's all agree, and apparently we are, let's stand up for seniors. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, leader of the House Republicans, has said any cuts to these programs should not be a part of the negotiations between Congress and the White House on the looming debt ceiling. But Mr. Pence, who may run for the Republican nomination for president next year, made something of a break right here on our show. Well, I I respect uh, the speaker's commitment to take Social Security and Medicare off the table uh, for the debt ceiling negotiations. We've got to put them on the table in the long term. Think about some of the numbers we talked to Pence with about yesterday. 150. Some of the debt. Yeah. 150 trillion within not that not that far away. If you know we keep going the way we are, each dollar is going to be worth a lot less. So I did. Say, I I will say there was a fascinating, and I know you're going to disagree with this. There was a fascinating column by Paul Krugman oh in the paper God. yesterday about the internet, how it's no more important than the fax no, machine. No, 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 stop. Oh, something stop, stop, else. Stop. Okay, something no, else. No, okay. about how healthcare costs actually have um, not completely leveled off, but if you look at the CBO reports of where of what the conversation we were happening having ten years ago, we were doing rise above. You remember that? Yeah. And we said that that. Things were going to spiral completely out of control and everything yeah. was going to be a disaster. If you look at the CBO report of what they were projecting 10 years ago and what they're projecting now and what actually happened, you would think that actually healthcare costs have actually leveled off right. in a remarkably good way. And the um, speculation uh-huh. in, in the column was to say, what do we really know about where healthcare costs are going to be? Uh. 20 years from now. Well, with technology, that's making what we're talking more about. Efficient, no, no, right? and that was the argument. Yeah. Well, not just, but what is the cheapest thing in town versus going into a hospital? Preventing something or right, far, no, no, or that, pharmaceutical. No, if, but that if, was if we job. can tackle Alzheimer's eventually, or right. dementia well, even eventually, these weight loss or drugs, chronic uh, diabetes, diabetes eventually, right. you can tackle no, diabetes. That's why you don't right. want to really but screw the interesting up. Part about his argument was he was saying, look. Every, now there's a new conversation. We're back right. on the table about, mm-hmm. do we need to cut Social Security? Do we need to cut Medicare? How do we do that? But add in, right? add in how much longer you're going to have to be paying out Social Security to people that I, live look, to 100. I imagine it's going to become an issue. I right. think it's hard to believe it won't become an issue. But if you look at what those numbers suggest, you'd say you would have thought it would be a much bigger issue 10 years ago. It's right. less of, anyway. 
Chinese tech giant Baidu says its artificial intelligence product, ErnieBot, will open to the public next month. The company's CEO said it will embed the AI technology into its search business first, then open the chatbot to the public. It's unclear what guardrails Baidu will put in place to comply with the Chinese government's control of data and public information. Reports this week that Chinese regulators have told tech companies not to offer access to ChatGPT on their platforms. Is this the beginning? Are we at 1% of what this becomes in five years? Like some other things that I've been like Munger, slow to embrace, social media, things like that that I thought were. I mean, is this like right here and it's going to this? What are the uses? What, what, what are we really going to see? What is AI actually? And isn't it weird that everybody sort of got to this, uh, this point at the same time? They, they, they just quantum leap to where we can, all of a sudden, this company can do it. There's AI that, you know, different. I think they, there's two issues here. One was I think that some of them actually could do it previous, previously earlier. and just didn't, decided basically not to because they didn't think it was completely right. ready for prime time. And by the way, there's elements of it that aren't ready for prime right. time. But I'm starting to use it in all sorts of interesting well, like ways. Like what? Oh, oh my God. What? On the, in, in the column? I might like no, the I, column better. I have not have you asked ChatGPT to write a column for you? I've asked uh, ChatGPT to write DealBook. Uh-huh. It doesn't, it, it cannot really pull off news yet. Okay. So if you said, write today's DealBook, can't really do it. It, 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 it can't really assemble, it doesn't have a real mind of its own right, to know sure. What to assemble, what the news is, could do the things news. like that. Might not be the nuance, it although I've heard it will focus. be the nuance that you prefer, uh, is, is what I've thought. No, but I, I think in five years uh -huh. it probably could do some of this. I think you could ask it to write paragraphs for you. I had an idea for a novel the other day, uh -huh. uh, like a thriller, and I literally put in just like the plot points yeah. into the thing. Did it generate a book? It couldn't generate, I, no, or but it generated like two pages. Or? generated like two pages. Of really interesting, I was like, "Wow, this is an interesting book." I was going to use it, but so I don't are know. There, do they own it? Do they? I mean, I don't know how it works. I was just playing around with the, the service, but by Andrew Ross Sorkin and ChatGPT. There's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff in there. But it was your idea, so maybe you self-loved what it came up with, right? Since it was your, I mean, you gave so it enough. It wants parameter. to please you. Yeah, so you gave it enough. Parameter. I gave it the main character. I yeah. said, "This is right. what they do. This is where it's." Based. Well, you came this up with it, so. But they, but they, it, and then they, and I said, and I said, write it like this movie, and I like gave it some background, and then it sort of did some stuff, and it was pretty neat. And Elon Musk, Tesla CEO, and his staff met yesterday. This was weird. It was weird. It was was it awkward with California Governor Gavin Newsom. They toured Tesla's new engineering headquarters in, uh, in Palo Alto. Thank you, everybody, for being here. So uh, we're, we're excited to announce that uh, Tesla's uh, global engineering headquarters will be right here, the uh, former headquarters of uh, Hewlett Packard. Tesla's taking over the lease uh, for the office space it was previously occupied. <laughs> Does Gavin Newsom not look like who you'd cast as, uh, as, as a politician? Uh, no, in California. Oh. Applaud, everybody. There's a lot to be excited about. Well, I appreciate I mean, I, Eli, I were talking about obviously the symbolism, but also the substance uh, that's reflected in an event like this. I mean, look at that guy. Is he really, uh, I don't know, he's got to play himself, definitely, if there's ever uh, a movie about, look at that. Kind of a cool looking dude, right? They got the hair and the... I, is this going somewhere? No, no, <laughs> okay. just you can't look at that and say that guy is just not. I mean, you know, Larry Hogan. I mean, you know, some of the other uh, type 
you know what yes. Phil Murphy, the, it's just, yeah. that would only happen in California. That would only happen. I feel like he's digging himself into a hole. God, I'm nowhere near a hole at this point. I'm not, I'm not that, you haven't even I'm like, not that, no, I have not even Jesus. scratched, no way. He's got the shovel out, trust it's me. A so but it's, it's a compliment, it's a compliment. It's an insult to the other governors you cited. Larry Hogan doesn't care that, he knows he looks like that, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> he knows well, he looks looks like don't he matter looks anymore. Okay, you I think we I should go back to the, the, to the previously occupied by Hewlett yeah. Packard. Uh, Musk told CNBC that taking over HP's original headquarters was a poetic transition. Do you think California should be cautious about, uh, you know, having taxes and regulations uh, go too far? I'm not anti-California. I mean, I think. Um, you know, one has to strike a balance here and say, like, like there are a lot of good things about California, and then there's some challenges. And, um, you know, California, I think, could make it easier to do, especially manufacturing, uh, than is currently the case. Um, but, um, you know, and I would encourage legislators to, to consider their actions, you know, in the long term. And he called the new facility effectively a headquarters of Tesla, in addition to the main HQ in Austin, Texas. Sources close to the governor uh, told CNBC that the meeting focused on Tesla's efforts to create jobs and expand uh, in the state. Think if he really had some gravitas, Newsom, combined with those looks. I mean, you could just write his ticket right into. I think he's, right into he, he's hoping that some people. Right into Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, well, it's not. That's all we need is, is the California-style government in, in D.C. We'll debate that later. Let's talk about billionaire investor Dan Lowe because uh, he told retailer ba uh, Bath & Body Works that his hedge fund, Third Point, plans to launch a board challenge. Uh, Bath & Body Works adding two board members earlier in the month. That was a response to a push by Third Point, which had revealed a 6% stake in the company back in December. But Loeb said the company's addition of new directors does not address his concerns about governance, capital allocation, and executive pay. He also said the company rejected one of his potential board candidates. In a statement late yesterday, Bath & Body Works said his board, that its board, rather, I should say, disagrees with Loeb's letter, uh, but would review and consider hedge funds, uh, the hedge fund's proposed board nominations. This is not your favorite company. Just, I know sometimes it gets confused. Which one? The Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh, no, no. Bed Bath & Beyond. And Beyond. This is, it is. This is why isn't it? It's a different company. Oh, Bath I know. Oh, oh, no, Bath & Body. Oh, Bath no, I know. Yes, yes, I saw that. I actually yes. thought about they that. They have lots of soaps. And Bath other, bombs, lotions. And other things like that. Yes. I, I mean, some of that they may sell at, at, um, at Bed Bath & Beyond, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if they'd resell. I think, you know, it's a $10 billion company, Bath & Body Works. That's amazing. I, I, That's amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize. I had to look it up because I wanted to see what the market cap was. And, and it's, it's uh, like it nine, really nine is. Plus. And they make that much money selling. Uh, selling overpriced mango lotion. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, that's. He's a lotion guy. I could see him doing like a papaya. I'm not a, lo a like lotion. A... Are you a bath bomb guy? I mean, do you? No. Could you? It's very time consuming. If you had a $1,000 gift certificate. Yes. At that place. Uh -huh. That's a lot of lotion. That's a lot of lotion. <laughs> I mean, would you be able to, to, to burn through the gift certificate? You'd come home with stuff? Would you buy no. stuff for? So you wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't know what to, what to buy. That's what I mean. No. no. Okay, so you wouldn't. No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a soap and water guy for the most part. And yeah. I have this but cream. They sell soap, too. They sell just regular. It's just, it right. might be, you know, Shampoo? hibiscus or Shampoo. something. No, Joe is referring, I discovered a, and I'm not, I was not a moisturizer person. He's big. But I found this moisturizer that's really quite something. It's but, changed but his really. life. I told you that. Yeah. Can we have the CEO on? 
We, um, we can try to find the, the. They're sold out of it right now, so I think if they were to go on TV, they'd sell it. They would have a real problem. Mm. Yeah, they're sold out. So you, you have discovered this, obviously. Yeah. You know, that's what I like. You know I like to find these you weird do. little products yeah. that I really just... It's usually an app or something. It's an app, it's a gadget, it's a this, it's, it's, yeah. Alcoholist beer. Right, alcoholist beer, exactly. Donuts. Uh, those athletic... It was, it donuts. Was, uh, donuts. <laughs> I don't think I discovered donuts. Anyway. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Internet's fate sitting in the hands of the Supreme Court. Tech investor Low Tony joins us on Section 230 and where algorithms, extremists, Twitter, and Google converge. Had Twitter, Facebook, YouTube been around prior to this precedent being set, would it have looked different? That's next. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. This week, two cases before the U.S. Supreme Court could decide the fate of the Internet. The arguments in Gonzalez versus Google and Twitter versus Tamna both hinge on the 26 words that helped make these tech giants tech giants. The high court is looking at and possibly reinterpreting Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. It's considered big tech's liability shield. Section 230 protects these companies from any legal liability for what's posted on their platforms. And it's what distinguishes Facebook's news feed from a more traditional news outlet like ours at CNBC, regulation-wise. At issue, whether the platforms are liable for the spread of extremist messaging that led to violence, a terror attack in Paris in Google's case, and a deadly attack in Istanbul in Twitter's. In both of these instances, it's tech algorithms that are under the microscope. Could recommending a video amount to aiding an extremist campaign? The attorney representing both petitioners argues yes. And do Section 230 protections extend to platforms in that scenario? Well, Justice Kavanaugh got to the crux of that issue during oral arguments for Twitter v. Tamna. Suppose that, um, uh, well, go back to 1997, CNN did an interview of Osama bin Laden, a very famous interview uh, of him. Uh, Could, under your theory, Uh, And that that interview became where he first time declared war against the United States uh, to a Western audience. And uh, that interview became famous, tool for recruiting, notoriety. Uh, Could, under your theory, CNN have been sued for uh, aiding and abetting 
uh, September 11th attacks. I'll send it back now to Joe Kernan. Joining us now is Low Tony, founding managing partner of Plexo Capital. Low, it's great to have you. Great Thanks to have you on, on set. For sure. Are you available if if, the, if if called to go help explain everything? To uh, are Anytime. they re, are they ready for this? Do you think <laughs> are they in a position to make the, the right? The, some of the, I mean, I know I I couldn't probably make the right decision here. Or do they need more background info? You think? I think that's what's really important because historically, what we've seen is that technology moves faster than the regulators and the courts can move, and. We had this precedent set all the way back in 1996. And it helped. And it, it did a, help. It was a good time for it. It allowed for the proliferation of many of these technologies to be able to take hold. Now, I think what's most interesting is had Twitter, Facebook, YouTube been around prior to this precedent being set, would it have looked different? And what the challenge is today, to your point, we have people that maybe don't have the best grasp on technology and where these things can go. Will we see something happen with unintended consequences moving forward that change free speech or that change the liability? And the unintended consequences, are they worse than the unintended consequences we're dealing with right now with 230 in place? That's right. And net net, I, I don't know. Don't you think there'd be more censorship? If, if I, I do, but, but I think that they've, all, but they've, if you've already crossed the Rubicon in terms of, I'm going to let this go, but I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to do this here, but I'm not going to, you're already making decisions that you're supposedly insulated against. If you're going to cross the Rubicon, if you're ready to, to delve into this, then start taking responsibility for what you're putting up. Don't say, oh, geez, I, hey, that was, you know, a third party. That's not my problem because they are making decisions that what, what the rest of us gets to see. That's right. And I think to your point, that has allowed the technology companies to kind of take a step back and not prioritize the removal of some of these more hateful types of And then comments. they remove stuff that might be totally innocuous to somebody else. They're making these decisions, and that's why but people I'm are so furious. You, I'm curious which you would prefer. I want more. Of, you want more censorship? No. No. You want more openness? No. no. Yes. I'll, I'll decide. Right. And I'm a big boy. And you think the law is going to allow that, uh, make that possible? I'm not arguing The law right now is, is I, making that possible. I don't know one way or another whether, you know, what the, whether they should keep the law. I'm, I'm telling saying you if you I keep want. the law, it becomes yeah. a, it's, a mark, it's as market-based system as there's going to be. Right. I would think you'd like that. But I probably would if you describe right. it like you that. The law, other re- but if you but, change the law, then I say there's going to be a clamp down on everybody. It. They're already doing it, though. And if they're all going to do it, then... then can, I, can I ask you, Lo, you know, sure. as we're talking about AI and chatbots and all that, how does this apply eventually, do you think, to AI? I, I feel like you know, that's coming up, and, and will it eventually apply to what chatbots spit out? I think ultimately it will, because when we look at the direction that AI is going, we're using a new medium that applies intelligence to the way that information that's already available is put out. I think what's most interesting, though, is this notion around I am a technology company and I have, lia- I have uh, insulation from the liability because I'm not considered a publisher. Right. And it'll be interesting to see, okay, if now we have the artificial intelligence available to kind of process and, and restate some of this information, does that cross the line for these tech companies from, hey, right. this is just user-based yeah. content but here's to the now, thing that I don't understand. I, don't, I would think that Joe, I would think that you would be on the side of leave everything as is and 
let the market do what it's doing. You may not like it, but that's a lot better. They're insulated. Think, than if you say there's liability. Because the second there's liability, which is, by the way, something that I would you'd think I would like, there would be a clampdown on everything, including how AI is formed and everything else. Right. Right. So I don't I don't really under the, the political bedfellow or the, the strange bedfellows in politics on this. Just don't make that's sense. why it's in, that's why it's all the way up in front of the Supreme Court, because people don't know what they're, I, I, I am bothered by Gigo. Gigo is more relevant than ever. I mean, these algorithms. What if it, all the people that did, did all that great censorship at Twitter? What if they all got hired to do the AI chatbot? What if they're the ones that are putting in the algorithms for what that says? Do you want those people? Controlling. What, I'm not what, sure. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I can say is, you know, we're at the. I think we're at the forefront of another major shift in technology. You know, we had the internet, then we had mobile, and now wondering. we have AI. Right. Every 15 it's, years. Are we at one percent so. though? And it's gonna. I mean, is this really? Is this where we are on on AI? And it's gonna be here I, in five. I think so. I think you know. Look, AI has been around for a few decades. Right. Nothing happened. But what happened. we're now seeing is we're now seeing the fascination with consumers, right? So we had chatbot GPT reach a million It feels quantum. It feels, like, it feels like a quantum leap. That's right. Thing. And I think it's captured the imagination. Ultimately, AI will play a role, I think, behind the scenes, right? So just as software is eating the world, every company is becoming a software company, every company will also think be that an AI, AI company. Um, or chat GPT, so there's a $29 billion valuation depending on if you believe that evaluation on that company. Mm -hmm. Do you think that technology is so unique to that company or to whatever Google is doing or to whatever, that it's not built into the values of all these companies already or that it becomes effectively a commoditized sort of product that's just a feature set of everything? Right, I think the latter, that is, is correct. In the case for horizontal applications, because of the availability openly of data today to be able to train these bots, so I do think there is some level of commoditization. Right. But the, you the, just said something fascinating. Yes. You said the, of the op using the openness of the data today. Right. The question is whether the, that data will remain open to train on. So if you're CNBC.com or the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or uh, a music publisher, or uh, film scripts or what, all of this, right now, these things are boiling the ocean, they're, 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 they're training on all of this information for free. That's right. At what point does NBC Universal, the New York Times, the music publishers say, you know what, you wanna train on my thing? You're gonna pay me for that. And then, all of a sudden, everybody's getting exclusives, right? So, uh, you know, this, you know, the, the, the Bing version of it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has access to these particular publications, these particular outlets. The Google version has access to this. And actually, everything is, uh, becomes almost like a specialized AI. And whether that's either good or bad even for the system. I think from a business perspective, when we look at what's happening, that is the right point to focus in on. Because I suspect what will happen is, we will see some very interesting opportunities for companies to build a moat so that it's not a commodity, 
based on the availability of the data. So I'm really excited to look at companies that have access to private data, right. and we can think about those, I think, more, horizon uh, more vertically than horizontally. So think, for example, financial data. Right. We can think about healthcare data. Now, there's other things that have to be addressed with privacy and those types of things, but I think that's the key point. The access to private data, in our opinion, is where multi-billion dollar opportunities will exist that can create a moat because others right. won't have access to that technology and the data itself to be able to drive the algorithm. So you, let me, going, revisiting this. So you want these companies to have liability so absolutely nothing gets through the cracks and you don't see anything. That, that's sort of what you said you might like. So you're right, I, w I don't I'm, want that. I'm, suggest right. I'm suggesting but, but I can, that that would be the outcome. But right. If liability existed, that's what I mean. the outcome and you, would but be you to said shut you were, everybody you were, down. You were happy with that. You said that you might argue that you'd like that. So you're right, I would not, but I can tell you that on, in both parties, you can find people on totally opposite sides in each party, I think, which is weird, because you would think, like you're right, most Republicans would let it let it ride, baby. Right, let, let it ride. Let it ride. <laughs> but then there's other ones that are tech is too big. They got too much power. They're too insulated here. They're, and you can find the same argument on, on the other side for for different reasons, which is like so many other things. We all, need more parties I'm, in this. Country. All I'm saying is, if we need like Italy, like well, eight uh, political parties. If you parties. could hold <laughs> Facebook or some or Twitter or something liable for putting out um, a message that that really does incite violence and murder or a video right. of a school shooting, something horrific, right? Right. And that they would be liable for that. It's not just they would block that. They would block any, anything and everything that looks like that. And then the question is, is that a good thing right. or a bad thing? Now, I don't want that video out there. I don't, personally. But I also don't know, you know what the implication of right. that is. Well, I don't know where you would land on that. Well, it's weird because I would land where you don't let Al Qaeda stay on and get rid of, you know, parents in schools or something like that to go to a school board meeting. I, that, you know, you can imagine how I feel about that. I think it ought to be if you're going to enforce something, let's enforce it. Right, but the it problem equally. is you're going to. This goes to the. You either it's going to be either enforced <laughs> all or nothing. You can't really do no, this. No, what do you think? Yeah. Is based it better, on your, better here in person. Yeah, isn't it, it, it is better here in person. I love the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love it's the good, dynamic. Good, 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 and, and I do think that's the challenge, right? And again, I go back to when this initial precedent was set in 1996. It, was, it wasn't even AOL, it was America Online, right? So this is pre-everything. Yep. Had there been tighter controls, we would not have seen the proliferation right. of right. all of these different, t Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. They wouldn't have been but possible because is, they would have constantly been shutting everything down. This is a concern, down. though, if things change, and they are publishers and there is liability in terms of development of AI. Mm -hmm. Right? That's I mean, exactly we are right. in that position, and yes. so we are at a point where we can either develop AI fully and compete with the rest of the world, or we can shut it down because we assign the liability there. That's right. So, yeah. That's right. And I think, you know, what uh, the thing that will most be impacted by regulation and this potential decision from the courts on AI is really more of the consumer side. Mm -hmm. The enterprise side will likely continue, right. but see, it's the fascination that we have right now as general consumers with what we see on ChatGPT. Hello, thanks. Thank you. Great to see you. Great to see you. Next on Squawk Pod, a surprising headline from one of the biggest ports in the country. After two years of supply chain disruptions, remember all those goods stuck offshore? Well, now the volume of goods coming in is down a lot. The port of Los Angeles's Gene Soroka. Well, times of containers sitting outside storefronts and warehouses elevated beyond eight days. Normal cycle is three to four. So folks are using those containers as mobile warehouses to augment the already full brick and mortar facilities. 
The port side of the story, right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe Kernan is here. Melissa Lee is here. Becky's off today. It's nice to see you hanging great out. Great to be here. Um, we've got a lot to do and a lot of uh, great groggy. guests on tap. You feel okay? I'm groggy. In general, people that get up at 3.30 are groggy. groggy. You're good. Okay. No, she's doing great. Being she's doing better. One day is okay. With you it's and okay. Andrew we are invigorating. The other day. Joe and I may be groggy. Right. right. She's, no, she's holding up the fort. The, the other day, I, I figured out, it, I was like, wow, I'm so tired. It was like 4 in the afternoon. And I did the math. If you get up at 3, right. I think that's 13 hours. So if you yeah. get up at 8, add 13, that's like, it's almost like 9 or 10 o'clock when it's 4 in the afternoon for us. And we wonder why, right. you know, we might feel a little... But no, I just meant thank you for being here. Oh, and it's, it's, it's my hard, pleasure. It's, it's hard my to honor get, to be did here. The, did you hit your snooze at all? No. You got right up. 3.15 up. Just, just trying to fill everyone in information we need to know. After more than two years of major supply chain disruptions, uh, U.S. shipping costs normalized mostly, but ports on the West Coast are seeing some softness in cargo volume this year. In January, the Port of Los Angeles reported that imports dropped 13% year over year warning of a significant volume decline this month. Joining us now is Gene Soroka. He's a Port of Los Angeles executive director. And first of all, I just, I, I can't wait to, to have you sort of, I've looked at some of the notes on what's happening, but it's not the way I thought things would be going right now. A lot of it has to do, you're really getting a lot of competition from East Coast and Gulf, and Gulf ports, but the reopening of China hasn't helped boost volumes? Why not? Oh, good morning, Joe. And this economic equation is more complex than I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Why? First quarter, uh, volumes down precipitously, coming off all-time highs. But you've still got really high retail inventory levels. Inventory sales ratio about 1.35, 1.37. You're getting emails and texts every day with deep discounts from retailers. And if you're like me, you're buying. But that inventory level remains elevated. Second, the reopening of China is one piece to it, but the central government and the ports, like the Yangshan Deep Seaport in Shanghai, continue to prioritize that long leg cargo. So we never saw a tremendous dip, even though there were pressures on the domestic supply chain, land transport, barge service, et cetera. That cargo kept coming. And it's the trepidation about the economy. So not only are inventory levels high, but importers are trying to cut back just a little bit more. And with all of that, we saw an extended Lunar New Year break of about 30 days compared to right. 7 to 10 as normal. We don't necessarily factor that into to, to our thinking, 30 days for the, the Lunar New Year. Also. Explain how a lack of warehouse space causes lower volumes. 
How does that work? All right, there are about two billion square feet of warehousing from the shores of the Pacific out to the desert region in, in Southern California, and they've been filled to the gills for the longest time. They can't accept more, but it, can't accept more. This is a demand problem. Yeah, here's the other piece to it too. While all of our numbers are starting to look better on what we call dwell times, how long containers sit before they move out to the importer or the exporter brings them back, we're still seeing dwell times of containers sitting outside storefronts and warehouses elevated beyond eight days. Normal cycle is three to four. So folks are using those containers as mobile warehouses to augment the already full brick and mortar facilities. So that sounds like would be good for inflation, okay? Because it sounds like demand's it. But because warehouses can charge so much, that's going to be a persistently higher price that you have to pay to store things now. So that's going to be net net inflationary, even though they can't move things out of the warehouse? Faster. It could be, and that's the problem with the supply chain. Where the bottlenecks persist, you're going to see aggravated costs. At the same time, cargo is moving away from the West Coast as well. Why is that? You said there's regulatory issues out there. We were just talking about Gavin Newsom. Is it tough doing business? Are they driving you away to East Coast ports or driving business away? Go back to 2002, 80% of the Trans-Pacific trade moved through West Coast ports. Today, that's 56%. 50. And you get three things that importers and exporters tell me every day. You're too expensive, you've got very unique labor issues, and you're over-regulated. So whether it be the air regulators on trucks, how you petition to do projects and get permitting through the California Environmental Quality Act, all of that What's adds cost to the supply price, chain. Though? What's the difference in price, Gene? I mean, if, if you're looking to move a container from, I don't know, pick your place, China, to California versus the East Coast or versus another port, what, what's the cost differential? Right. The end-to-end -end prices are pretty manageable. Uh -huh. You can see them. What the difference is, is how much it costs to lift that container on and off a ship at a port. We're more than double our competitors more than double. on the, on the just double get Gulf the container Coast. Wow. off the ship okay. onto land. Hey, That's right. Wow. Just what you're telling me, okay, it's, the stuff's coming from China, but it's cheaper to go to the East Coast. Which is and that makes no sense. And less headache. That because makes you're no not sense. Snarled up in all these chains. That's so like a, that's a why we've Rube Goldberg scheme. That's like okay, go down. Where do they go through the? They go through the canal and either, then all the way around. Either Suez if it's South Asia, or through the Panama if it's coming out of North Asia. Long Correct. Trip. And what's happened is you've seen big time Ridiculous. investment. They've hired switched on leadership, and they've aligned with policymakers with business friendly regulation, and they've been nipping at our heels for the better part of 20 years. This is the result you so see. So who would you bring your who would you talk to about this to say we need to, do, do they like business in California? Do they, would they like to have the ports get back to 80% or not? All right, and this is, this is the question that we have at hand. Governor Newsom's annual budget aligns. Good looking guy. Absolutely. All right. And a, and, but, a, and a good leader for the state of California. But for the he first is? for the first this time doesn't sound like it. For the first time in a generation, we've got alignment with the federal government between the infrastructure law, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the California governor's budget. Now we can't miss this point in time. We've got to accelerate investment on infrastructure while that volume is down to create the efficiencies that don't add to the cost of the supply chain. You've got to stay on his good side, deal. Gene. Is that, is that why you have to stay on his good side? Whose fault is this? It's not his. It's pro it precedes him? You've got so many stakeholders in the supply chain, it's everyone's responsibility. And it's been going on the, for two the, decades. Over regulation, 
Is, is that not new, the overregulation and the cost? The effect? regulation piece is there. The protracted when did that go into effect? We've had the newest of regulations go into effect at the beginning of this year, eliminating trucks with model engine years 2010 and earlier. It was about 18 to 20 percent of all the trucks, but you haven't seen that impact yet because so, the volume's so been you're down. Saying, it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not going to fight the overregulation. You're not going to fight that increase in cost, but what you can do is bring about efficiencies and cost savings by improving uh, the infrastructure around it. That's right. And the other piece is... But, then, the, but the East Coast ports will also benefit from improving infrastructure from all of these federal bills, correct? So you're still going to have the same cost differential that you're dealing with. But that's why we have to leapfrog. We have to get ahead of the game. And where we're not seeing the advances that must happen right now is the use of the inefficiency, the latent capacity. 50% of our truck gates go unused every day. That's teed up to improve efficiency and continue to cycle this. If a trucker gets four or five turns a day, that improves. Terminal operator is not digging out containers from the bottom. That improves. So it's a sum of all this efficiency work combined with the investment. Could uh, Secretary Buttigieg help? Does and he take your calls? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And that's where he's got to push this money out of the infrastructure law and make sure that we get our fair share. And that's been the campaign to make sure that we're getting that investment money. I like, I like the way you walk that line, Gene. I do. You're, you're telling me things, but then you're, you're not making anyone mad. I like that. Good to have you on, though. On set, you made it back here, right? Did you, uh, you with Andrew in the back of the plane? or where were no, we? we made it out here, and I'm you doing did. okay for 3 o'clock Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Gene. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for the latest news and hard-hitting analysis. <laughs> Does Gavin Newsom not look like who you'd cast? Kind of a cool-looking dude, right? they got the hair. And the... I feel like he's digging himself into a hole. Oh, I, I'm nowhere near a hole. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. He's got the shovel out, trust me. And we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.